Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, I think probably one of the best ways to approach in international growth is to assume that, you know, the, the folks the other side of the table that you're trying to do a deal with just, you know, you should probably today make the assumption that they're a lot smarter than you are. They know their market a lot better than you are. They've probably had a, a broader education than you have. And they're, they're committed to, to winning on their side of the table. They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. What's happening, friends? What's up? It is Thoughts That Rock. Mm -hmm. Your favorite podcast where we uh, dive into incredible advice given by usually a fantastic guest. And today is... Did you say usually? Usually. <laughs> today is no different. <laughs> An incredible... You're implying video. some are not that great. We are going international. Yeah, we are. Uh-huh. Um, incredibly excited uh, to have uh, a very special guest with us. Someone we've actually tried to have on the show for a long time. We finally wore him down. Yeah. <laughs> But because he doesn't do podcasts, Brad. I, I know. <laughs> this, this might be his first this podcast. This was the first podcast he's ever done. So we, we will give him a little bit of grace for that. Yeah. It's uh, my former boss or my boss's boss, at least, at Hard Rock International, Hamish Dodds, who is a legend uh, now at this point in, in my background at Hard Rock International. It was so fantastic to have him here. You know, and I, I think we always wanted to do something uh, a little bit more from, from a business standpoint. And he wanted to talk about his approach to international expansion. Yeah. That's what the topic's going to be. But Hamish is just fantastic. He is uh, just an accomplished chief executive. And in particular, when it comes to international expansion, let alone the fact that from 2004 to 2017, he was president and CEO of Hard Rock, uh, which is where I obviously got to know him. Mm -hmm. Um, but before that, he was the uh, CEO of CBC Beverages. Before that, he was the president of PepsiCo in at least South America, Central America, and uh, the Caribbean, I think. But he's done a lot with franchising, joint ventures, you know, just trying to get into countries all over the place with different products and, and venues. And just even now sits on a lot of boards. I see you laughing over there. Sits on boards like Fogo de Chao and Dave and Buster's and, and, uh, and the like. And he's just, I was excited because this guy really helped us turn our company around. You'll hear me talk a little bit about that. Uh, I have a business crush on this guy, I have for a long time. And I was just so thankful that he was in our orbit and helped make the company great. What are you laughing about? What's going I'm on in that? I'm literally head? just thinking 
I toured in a Kia Soul and I played guitar for 20 years while this guy yeah. <laughs> was running Pepsi and Hard Rock and yeah. CBC and accomplishing more um, in a day than I did in 20 years. And that just makes me angry. Yeah. In, in the planet, not just in Arkansas oh, yeah, or wherever yeah, it is yeah. you yeah. fell. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Whatever well, Waffle House you were in at the uh, time. That's the truth. You know, he was not ordering the $4 biscuit at Waffle House. I can tell you that. No, he was not. But we did have a fantastic conversation. I thought for a hot second, uh-oh, this might be a little bit over the head of some of our attendees, but it wasn't. I mean, I think everybody could really understand it, whether you've got a business and you're thinking international or this is just an interest story. I can tell you Hamish is one interesting guy. Smart is all get out. I think right? it even helps with, look, as we're, as we're sort of coming into another election season here, some of the things that Hamish discussed in this episode are things that we don't think about mm. a lot in this country of the repercussions of whatever the messaging or the rhetoric is that's being spewed by whatever particular party yeah. <laughs> is in power at the moment. But it really has international implications that go beyond economics. And I think that that was one of the really interesting parts of this discussion. Yeah, I didn't even think about it until you just said it. Yeah, check it out. It's amazing. All right, there he is. There is Hamish Dodds on the screen. Hi, Hamish, how's it going? All good, thanks, Jim. Hi, Brant, how are you? Great, Hamish. Great to have you. Leg legendary. We are so uh, excited uh, to have you on the podcast. Yes. I was telling him how, uh, I don't know if, if the right word's famous or infamous, but uh, for sure, Hamish has been such a big, huge part of the Hard Rock brand. You know, I spent 21 years there, but obviously when you were just listening to the introduction of all the things he's done, uh, I think he is. I think he is famous or infamous. I'm not sure which word. Uh, le legendary, a legendary brand, and just what he's accomplished is phenomenal. And I feel bad for whoever has to come after you. Hey. Yes, <laughs> whoever's the episode that tried after us. Yes, yes. Well, this is a this is a great, interesting one too, because uh, you know Hamish has lived that international life again, as you heard in the introduction, and so this was such a great topic to talk about how to approach international expansion. And, and Hamish, I know you've done a lot of this work. And, and as we get into these things, I'm, I'm sure it's hard for you to have truncated it down to three thoughts that rock. Um, but but you know, feel free to run around in any one of those thoughts. But hopefully we've got three meaty things for people to take away, especially for those people in our, our business community, the, the people that are listening right now going, I'm right in the thick of it. I, I now I'm starting to think about doing some international growth and, and I think this is going to be fantastic for them. So let's just jump right in, my friend. What is your first thought that rocks on how to approach international expansion? So, um, well, thanks for that. I think, you know, I, I've obviously had the opportunity to work, you know, both with Pepsi and Hard Rock brands over many years in international. And I think, you know, my sense is, is the first thought is around being really aware of geopolitics and the whole sort of situation around uh, uh, countries' relationships with each other, yeah. uh, either bilateral or, or, or globalist in nature. But I, I remember, um, you know, 1989, I was working with Pepsi in Europe and the Berlin Wall came down and the whole ethos and thinking around that time was around, you know, the whole of Eastern Europe is expanding everybody's looking for market opportunities there. And, and this was also at the same time happening across Asia, South America. So there was a huge expansion, if you like, in terms of global opportunity. And so a lot of decisions uh, around investments made in that time, 
everybody was trained and everybody was thinking about international expansion and, and, and how to enter markets. Uh, there are obviously different ways of entering markets. You can invest, you can joint venture, you can license or franchise. Uh, and, and, and people were looking at the right models for you know, their own particular business or their own particular circumstances. But I think, you know, from, from my perspective, the big aha is you know, what was right before the Berlin Wall came down was probably not right after the Berlin Wall came down. Yeah. And, and what we're looking at today um, with, with much more uh, uh, inter-country sort, sort of uh, 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 political tension and challenges and more bilateral rather than a globalist expansion agenda is that, you know, the, the decisions that you take could be the right ones at the time, but sometimes they turn out a few years later to, to be uh, frustrating decisions, primarily because of the political situation and the relationships and the evolution of relationships amongst countries based upon what's happening. So mm. to me, the, the interesting thing is there really isn't a correct answer. There, there, there's lots of ways of making mistakes uh, in expanding in international. And I think you have to decide your, your risk tolerance. But I've got lots of, of experience, I think, of, of things that seem really great you know, at the time, uh, a few years later, because of the, the political situation, it just turned out to be, you know, tragic in some ways, not only for the, the business investment, but also for the people concerned. So mm. I think about different situations. I think about, obviously, the Berlin Wall as one situation. But if you look at, at, at the largest, if you like, after the U.S. consumer market in the world is China. Mm. Yeah. And the relationship between U.S. and China now is, is extremely fragile. If you have a company like Apple, for instance, has you know, more than 90% of its business uh, on iPads and iPhones sort, sort of sourced out of China. And that relationship is, is mission critical to them. But if something happened, you know, in, in the, the, the U.S.-Chinese economic relationship, and, and there are lots of things really that are happening in that, it can fundamentally undermine, you know, Apple's status, if you like, as, mm. as a, a sort of mainstream uh, tech supplier. And, and, and entertainment supplier just because of this kind of situation. So I'm sure the folks there are really, you know, laser focused on that. But, yeah. but another example for, from, from my history certainly was with Pepsi. You know, Pepsi was a pioneer in developing relationships in Russia. Uh, one of the first companies ever to, to really embrace and, and, and get boots on the ground in Russia and, and did a superb job of building infrastructure, building bottling, building snack food plants and, and really you know, growing their business. And then, you know, suddenly the Ukraine situation happens and it, it's a sort of, you know, unwind. How do you get your money out? What do you do with your brand? Is your IP protected? And, and where do you go from here, having made all of these, you know, major strategic decisions? And there's, there's many countries and many situations, I think, that can be disrupted by the geopolitical agenda. So I think my sense on, on this particular facet is is there really isn't you know a, a, a true north it, yeah. it's it's about you know figuring out where you are and being flexible enough to you know uh, uh manage your risk exposure and and manage the, the 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 options that you have from a expansion point of view to try and you know maximize your your strategic and commercial advantage while at the same time minimizing the geopolitical risk yeah. that that makes a lot of sense. I, I was thinking too, like if you were using an example of going into some of these countries that maybe at one point were, 
either favorable or let's say democratic, or even if they weren't, but you're making a business decision. And I know there are some brands out there, particularly in food and beverage that maybe are signing really long-term lease deals. When you start signing, you know, something crazy like a 99, you know, year to lease deal thinking we're going to be there forever and things go sideways 10 years down the road, you're, you're sort of stuck. You're, you're, you know, financially, that's a really big rock around your neck. And this is going to be a little bit different, but I remember uh, during my hard rock days when we were first starting off, you know, going into Japan as an example, Tokyo was already in place long before I got to to the company, but we started opening up a lot. I think I remember maybe nine different locations in Japan, and I was involved with a couple of those openings. And I remember early on talking to some of the, the franchisees who said, you know, you guys are going to have to change your brand. You're going to have to change your culture before you come into this market. And and I think we were a little bit cocky back then. And, and I think I got to the point where we were saying, I think you're going to wind up changing your country because of our brand. And so you could sort of get away with that in the early 90s when things were still a little bit fresh and we were the, we were the only ones around. I don't think you could do that these days. I think it's part of the geopolitics that you talk about. And again, this might not be as big of a financial burden, but I think you really, if I understand you correctly, you've got to really understand the market you're going into and not just go in and say, we will operate the way we've always operated because that's how we've done it. You've got to be super aware uh, of what's going to resonate with people or what's going to frustrate them. And it, it helped in this case because I think that country is very progressive now and, and rock and roll is well ensconced you know, now. But in the early 90s, I don't remember anybody knowing anything about music or who even – maybe they knew the Beatles and, and maybe they knew Elvis, but they didn't know anybody else. So even the memorabilia in that particular case didn't resonate with them. I guess my question would be when, when you're talking about geopolitics, and, and I know you list off a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. So if you're going to start doing international expansion, you really have to have the list and discuss it amongst anybody who's got a – a stake in the business. You've really got to do that, that due diligence, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's fair. And, and, you know, I can turn that around a little bit and keep it a little bit closer to home. So, you know, we, 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 we're American, we live in the U S and we're doing business internationally, but you've also got to think about how your international prospective partners think about you and, uh, you know, the, 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 the rhetoric, if you like, uh, of, you know, being, uh, a U.S. company focused yeah. on global expansion has somewhat changed, particularly with the, the Trump America first messaging that that's going to make a lot of people very, very nervous. Mm -hmm. uh, another example would be in the U.K. Um, you know, the, the U.K. was trying to attract an awful amount of business on the basis of their participation in the EU market, you know, English speaking easy easy to understand laws and taxes yep. and so you know businesses were either establishing manufacturing infrastructure or headquarters in london so that they could you know be part of the eu infrastructure and you know wham bam yeah <laughs> now, now now they're isolated yeah. so uh, these decisions come pretty quickly you know when you think about our, our lifespan and business and so it's not just a situation i think of um you know, a, a Venezuela or a Cuba or a, 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 a Russia that, 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 that we think about from this perspective. We've also got to think about, you know, how, how we come across to prospective folks wanting to do business with us. Hamish, hey, my question would be sort of thinking through, especially in the States here with the, the two main parties and, and the 
presidency sort of and the administration sort of bouncing back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. How how much impact did that have in in your experience between parties? And secondly, are those things that you're trying to manage, you know, four years in advance um, because of some of the investments that that you've made? Yeah. So I think two or three things. One is, um, you know, I, I don't think you can ever manage uh, an international business with a three to four year mindset. I think you've got to have uh, a sort of, you know, 30 to 50 year mindset mm. when you think about the, the things that are important in international expansion. So if you're going to do it, you've really got to do it to win for the long term, because if you jet in and out uh, and, and, and you're not really committed, you're, you're, you're going to lose your shirt and you're going to you know uh, yeah. uh, really undermine your business or your brand, I think. So it's got to be a much, much longer uh, type of relationship. I think the the U.S. political situation and the different messaging um, all that does is is it makes uh, us as a U.S. partner uh, more more challenged. I think for for you know your your overseas partner. I think it builds uh, distrust in terms of where you as a business and you as a partnership are going to end up because you don't know what the ultimate sort of political direction is going to be. So I really don't think. Um, it's been helpful, uh, but but it is what it is. I don't think yeah. there's anything you know you can do, unfortunately, and I don't think there's necessarily a right or a wrong. And I don't want to get deep into the political situation, right. but yeah. it's definitely something that needs to be, you know, understood and part of your thinking in developing your relationships with 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 folks, so that you can you, you can either create deals or situations that should be relatively agnostic, if you like, to the changing political uh, communications out of, out of, you know, the different political parties or systems here at rest. But again, I said, you know, uh, at the moment, it's more messaging in terms of, you know, bilateral versus sort of global types of of agendas. Um, But those things can change and be much, much more dramatic. It's a very dynamic situation. And I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's, there's not really a, a right solution. You, you have to sort of continually think through and, and, and manage and adjust yeah. to some of these factors on a short-term, medium-term, and long-term basis. Hmm. That's awesome. That's a, that's a fantastic, great thought. Listen, we'll be right back after this message. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, let's talk about the second. What is your second thought that rocks when it comes to international expansion? So I think the, the the second thing in my mind is really understanding, you know, the 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 economics of the the, the business uh, uh, country and partner that that, that that you're looking at developing and expanding into. Uh, the, the the first thing really is just their, you know, uh, uh, economic and commercial uh, infrastructure rules regulations, their taxation systems. You know, can you repatriate funds? Uh, what are the labor laws? You know, all of those things are likely to be completely different yeah. to the, the, the home country 
economics and, and, and in regulatory systems that you have. So they're going to be fundamentally different in, in, in small ways, in, in, in large ways. And it's really around you know, really trying to understand what those differences are and making sure as an organization that, that your business proposition can still work in, in that kind of environment. So the first thing I think in, 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 in understanding economics is, is really doing a lot of homework and a lot of research. I think the, 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 the other thing is around, you know, people. Um, you know, you can't operate internationally without either, you know, uh, licensing to a great organization or taking your own resources in there and making sure that they can operate in, in, in that particular uh, locale or location. And so if you're investing in human resources in uh, a, another country, there's a huge cost to managing those, the, the, those, those people in an effective way, mm. making sure they're loyal making sure that they're rewarded uh, because the cost of losing people and then replacing them or flying out and recruiting new people, it's, it's, it's horrendous. So you've really yeah. got to build, you know, longevity in, in the human resource element uh, of the business proposition that, that, that you're looking at. And then, you know, I think the other element around economics is just, you know, the different cost structures, certain international markets are advantaged versus the US because they maybe have low labor costs or or better access to raw materials. And that'll be an example why obviously Apple is building uh, AirPods in, in China. Yeah. But at the same stage, you know, that there, there are other elements of the, 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 the economics in terms of shipping costs or taxation or the uncertainties, if you like, of dealing with you know, changing regimes or, or, or changing economic laws that have to be factored in. So this whole assessment of, of really understanding what are the local uh, uh, rules, regulations, uh, 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 people hiring policies, uh, raw material uh, you know, availability, just how that all builds up and, and making sure that that works for your business uh, yeah. is really demanding of, of, of a lot of homework before you make that big step. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Hamish, especially with a brand like Hard Rock, how often did you come across maybe a place that made a location that made sense from a tourism perspective or a hotspot that you figured it, the, the brand would do really well in that location, but it didn't line up with the things that just you just mentioned. It didn't line up with, you know, advantageous laws surrounding taxation or business or labor or any of those things. Did you find that that came sort of up as an issue often as you were looking to expand? Um, yeah, I think it did. I think in, 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 in most cases, a lot of challenges we had in Hard Rock was thinking through uh, gaming expansion, mm, casino oh yeah. expansion and in international markets. And, you know, obviously, I think, the, the, the first barrier is just, you know, that there are not that many markets around the world where, you know, first class gaming product is, is you know, embedded, if you like, in, into the, uh, the local country system. But then making sure that, you know, all of the various investors pass the, the very high probity checks that are necessary, uh, uh, that, that they have reputable backgrounds, that the locations are right. You know, there's a whole slew of things that, that, you know, on the face of it, you might think, well, it makes great sense to be here. But then once you go through the laws and the people and all of the other, uh, you know, infrastructure requirements to be able to get great product to a consumer, that, that they, those sort of opportunities really do 
manage themselves you know down in, in terms of number the, the the best opportunities for responsible first class product uh, uh, from a gaming perspective internationally really are in in, in countries that 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 have you know uh, uh, what I would call sort of first class uh, uh, sort of uh, human rights first class uh, environmental first class uh, uh, sort of political systems and that have to a degree a government sort of sponsored system yeah. with clear rules and regulations and taxes and you know people management and money laundering processes and everything else so the more uh, uh, robust if you like the, the 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 rules and regulations the more likely it is that you can get good product in there there are many countries with you know successful gaming operations uh, that, that that will operate in more opaque markets uh, but I think for us our, our when we were certainly in hard rock we were really looking to make sure that there was a good uh, uh, ethical threshold in terms of what we were trying to do just a, just a... Um, if you think about restaurants um, it's, it's really a little bit different because you know, re restaurants are successful around the world and you can find a good partner or you can invest yourself. So on the restaurant side or even on the hotel side to a degree, the, the, the barriers to entry around understanding the economics or some of the pitfalls are, are fundamentally fewer. And that's why you do see uh, a, a lot of international brands on, on hotels and, and restaurants, you know, in most countries around the world because they have been able to you know, successfully identify locations or partners or invest in these countries in a way that that, that, that sort of keep, keeps their underlying business mission yeah. and their ethics intact. Yeah. I'm curious as just a follow-up. So, you know, as uh, we're looking at doing this move here to, to South uh, Atlanta in, in Georgia and the Fayetteville area, which I'll use as an example in the last you know, five, eight years, uh, you know, Hollywood has sort of moved uh, many of its studios to Fayetteville, Georgia, where now uh, Trillith Studios is and, and all of Marvel's movies are now being filmed uh, in, in, on property here in the different sound stages. Um, that was a scenario where the business came in without the infrastructure. And because the business came, the infrastructure was sort of built around it. Um, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you build Vegas. it, they will come. Right. Yes. Yeah. But the, you know, that's a very different approach as opposed to going into a place that has the infrastructure that you can sort of plug and play into what's already there. Did you find yourself with, with the brands that you have managed um, going into some places saying, you know what, the infrastructure isn't there but the positive impact we could have on the community from jobs and from tourism and from all the other sorts of things would support the expansion of infrastructure from other companies coming and joining us by coming to this location. Did you find that that was um, in some cases more adv advantageous to go into a place without the infrastructure because of the positive impact you'd ha you would have? So I think um, no, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I think, Probably less so for both Pepsi and Hard Rock uh, as brands. I think we were less pioneering in that regard. Mm -hmm. But clearly there are examples, you know, uh, folks that open up shopping centers, for instance, in, in new cities. And, and as a result, attract brands and attract, you know, all of the infrastructure that's required to support them. I've seen that, you know, many times in, in, in emerging South American markets, Caribbean markets, for instance. I think because we were, you know, uh, isolated on either building a, a Pepsi factory or a Hard Rock hotel, normally we would do those in places that had 
already established infrastructure because we are trying to attract the, the uh, uh, sort of supply and demand in that sort of local marketplace. So probably less so from my personal experience, but, but you're right, you know, that's, that's clearly something that, that happens in certain industries. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can sort of think it's not going to be the same because I do think the cities uh, probably already had the infrastructure, but I would use Las Vegas as an example. One of the original founders of Hard Rock sure. planted the hotel off of the strip and people thought that was yeah. crazy. And that was very successful for you know a couple decades. I would even think in Dubai, when we first opened up the first cafe there, it was, it was the only thing there it was in the middle of the desert. It was away from where everything else was. And now everything has been built up from where everybody used to be all the way to where the hard rock is. So I think even internally in some markets, you can it again it might not be apples to apples because at least the surrounding market had infrastructure there were dollars there were tourists or whatever um but i i guess you just have to have a lot of faith you know in in the brand and putting that stuff in place in some of the countries you know one thing i've just noticed with with hard rock these days and again i'm just using that one that one company there's there's no growth that's going to happen in western europe or even in the us i mean if anything they're probably probably deleting a few of the cafes out there because they're futurist hotels and casinos, but the international expansion in the franchise community is still huge. They still are opening up eight to 10 properties every year. So there's still a lot of dirt out there. Uh, but to your point, they've got to have the right economics and Hamish, maybe you can answer this. Cause I think if you were, if you were completely company owned and let's say you had VC money, um, you could go out there and do almost anything if you had some investors. But once you get into joint ventures, and again, you probably are more likely to have some capital to, to use, but franchise, that's the nervous part for me, that if you look at franchise 101 as, boy, that partner makes or breaks the whole thing. And and maybe they're, they probably are, by the way, in other businesses, they've got other things, they seem to be well off, but if they're the wrong partner or if they go under financially, what do you have at your disposal, you know, versus 20, 30 years ago when deals were done on the back of a napkin, now they're a lot more stringent as to what you're doing when you, you sort of get into partnership. But what do you do if you find out, uh-oh, the economics aren't working 10, 20 years down the road and I have a partner who's not really vested or they're not even there anymore. How, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think, you know, partnership selection in a franchise context is the most important thing you can do. And, you know, there's different ways, I think, of assessing whether or not you've got a great partner from just, you know, the personal relationship through to their other businesses. Is it strategic to them? Do they have the underlying capital to be able to do this? Do they have the operating experience? So all those sort of questions you know, come to play, but, 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 you know, things change, yeah. uh, partners change, people leave businesses, uh, new people come in, priorities change and, and local economics change. And I think that sort of talks again to this sort of situation about there really isn't, you know, a right answer, a wrong answer. You make certain decisions and then you, you try to, to optimize all of the various outcomes by continuing to make smart decisions around either economics or people, uh, or, or, you know, being yeah, investment led or, or IP led, depending upon how you really want to look at it. So yeah. it's it's just not predictable. Uh, it's exciting. It's interesting. Uh, and it's something that, that provides, you know, huge 
incremental growth opportunities for you know, US companies or, or other companies looking to expand here, but it really does need you to have multiple antenna around all of the different things that can go right, that can go wrong, uh, and, and you know, just having a, a long-term perspective around you know, decision-making, a long-term yeah. perspective around trying to make those right decisions when, when the time comes. I'm sure I'd be screwing it up. There's too much, too much to think about. <laughs> and you and everybody about. else. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, I'm sure this will probably lead into your third thought, but it's always been one thing I learned actually from you is one, it, it would be great if you could use other people's money to, to make this thing work in other countries. But if you can find somebody local because they know that and probably goes back to the geopolitics, you're not you're not coming in, particularly from us as an American based company, even though we started in the UK. As, as Americans going and they're trying to run it as Americans would not work out in some of these countries, probably in, in the majority. So what, what is, I'm hoping this leads into your third one. What is your third thought that rocks on approaching international expansion? Yeah. And, and that really talks in as we've been leading into it is around really understanding relationships. Yeah. And, and particularly, I think understanding relationships over time. So the, the best way I can illustrate that probably is just to just, just think about, you know, you're, 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 you're going to expand into country X and um, you have, you know, your deal team and their deal team and they're working on, you know, trying to put together either a joint venture or an investment case or a franchise case. And it's all very exciting and a lot of time on airplanes and hotels and restaurants and spreadsheets and lawyers offices and everything else uh, that's that a good time really gets that's excited. exciting yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly anyway but but you know you, you're generally in this sort of situation of trying to get this deal done because it's it's going to be great for, for both parties and uh the, the 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 first thing to think about is that the deal guys may be very excited and have a great relationship but very often when the deal is done the deal guys go and then a whole new team of people come in to to operate the business. Yeah. And if 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 we haven't or you haven't sort of, you know, primed if you like those relationships and made sure that those are also, you know, uh, uh, good working relationships, you can end up with a great deal. But two parties that either don't like each other or don't understand each other or think mm -hmm. the deal should have been done a different way, and it, it can you know dislocate mm -hmm. very quickly. So, so when I think about international expansion, you don't think about the relationship you have in the deal team. You've got to think about it over a longer period of time. Uh, and, and so that then sort of gets you really thinking about the culture of your company versus the culture of the company or the country that, that, that you're trying to do business in. So you've got a very good understanding about you know, where the boundaries are and where all the, 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 the value in these relationships can be. Because, you know, uh, uh, in, in many cases, certainly historically, you know, U U.S. companies are very you know, corporate and people are ambitious and they, they work yeah. their way through and, and, and get promoted. And so sometimes, you know, the, the, the time span on a particular job might be two or three years or the the experience in a country might be a couple of years before you go to another country. And that's really not conducive sometimes towards building, you know, a, a, a long-term trust or relationship. And you're often dealing, you know, certainly in South America, uh, a, a, a market that I spend a lot of time in. There, there are a lot of really great companies in South America, but they, they, they've come up as family companies. Hmm. 
so they've they've invested as 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 family companies in in you know, infrastructure or bottling or uh, cement manufacturing it doesn't really matter as a, a but 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 they they they've built a family business and so the family members spend a lot of time in that business and then their children next generations come into the businesses as well and so you know you're dealing with an organization that has tremendous roots and heritage but you know has has got a long runway of of you know family executives and 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 you know uh, uh, friends and family as as part of that organization, mm-hmm. and you're putting them against a U.S. organization where there's relatively high churn, you know, uh, uh, coming in and out of of the markets, not not having the same long term view, if you like, uh, around the relationship side, and so the 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 international family company has to keep on reinvesting in trying to understand who the new leader is who the new yeah. marketing person is whether the the company is still strategically committed to investing in international or investing in their market and it it puts a lot more pressure i think on you know the ability for those situations to to uh, materialize successfully so again i i don't think it's it's a right or a wrong situation here it's more a question of really understanding that and and trying to build that into your thinking uh you know always having you know certain certain parts of your organization that that are you know relationship driven and sensitive to longevity history you know in many of these markets can can really add value Mm. Well, it definitely is a relationship business, right? And and I know it's easy to say that. And I think you, you know, again, I'm not sure if everything you've touched has turned to gold. It looks like it from the outside. I think of your time personally, you know, when, when you were running point on CBC Beverages and, and your time with PepsiCo and Hard Rock and all of this had that that international relationships. And I bet you each one of them you know, from a relationship standpoint, was a stepping stone. People that you worked with at PepsiCo, and you, and of course, the deals that you did around the world, they had to be in favor of the company, but you wanted to be favorable for them as a partner as well. I bet you there are people that you worked with that wound up doing work with Hard Rock, and whatever you're going to wind up doing, if you're even going to want to do anything in the future, you know, it's because of your relationships with Hard Rock as well. Even now, when I see you and your family traveling the world, it's not just because you've attained a level. I think you've got key relationships where you've done it very favorable. Very people are very happy. They they've all been successful, um, and it just it just goes back to. I know it just sounds so silly, but this is a relationship business, and I'm not speaking for just hospitality. I think it's every industry is like that, whether they they know that or not. What were we going to say, Brant? No, I think you know one of the things uh, that I end up talking to my clients a lot about Hamish is the difference between cooperation and collaboration, right? And and I think especially as an American driven company, sort of that bootstrap, we're gonna, we're gonna come in, we're gonna crush it uh, mentality. We sort of uh, have a tendency, especially going into markets that are not US based to sort of say, look, we just need you to cooperate. We just need you to cooperate. We don't want you to collaborate, but we need you to cooperate so that we can accomplish what we want to. But I would assume um, on the relationship side of things, it is incredibly important to not allow that to sort of come through as you just want people to cooperate so that you can accomplish what you want to. You have to approach this 
in a collaborative point of view with a shared vision, with a shared goal, with some shared um, outcomes that um, will be beneficial to both parties and not just coming in like a bull in a china shop and saying, okay, we need you to cooperate and just allow us to do this. Is that what your experience has been maybe even from, from dealing with the difference between American based companies and, and maybe some international ones? Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely fair. I think, you know, I've, I've personally seen a lot of mistakes and made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so you, you sort of learn as you go, but, you know, I think probably one of the best ways to approach international growth is to assume that, you know, the, the folks, the other side of the table that you're trying to do a deal with, just, you know, you should probably today make the assumption that they're a lot smarter than you are. They know their market a lot better than you are. They probably had a, a broader education than you have. And they're, they're committed to, to winning on their side of the table. So the more you sort of, you know, understand and, and, and the more that, that you work in a collaborative way, trying to, you know, maximize the value that they can bring, the more likely you are to succeed. I think this this you know traditional approach of you know this is the way we make you know our our French fries or our hamburgers or our Pepsi, and and it's this way or no way at all. I I think those days, um, you know, just just don't have the same potential hmm. as as really exploiting folks who understand more about their local market and have a long term vested interest in making sure what they're investing in the relationship and the business is successful as well. That's awesome. Amazing. I'm going to uh, tell you a little story about Hamish the first time that I met him. Hamish, you won't remember this at all, but we were, so Mike Neidinger, who was the VP of Company Owned Cafes, he and I, uh, Brant has met uh, Mike before. We, um, we were working on the global conference that we did every year. And we had probably done it together for about six years. And, and Brant, I've shared with you, this is all the cafes, hotels, casinos. Everybody came to this conference. So the very first time uh, my boss had walked Hamish into this war room, this conference room where we had posters and, and post-it notes and everything on the wall. And we were probably a week and a half, two weeks away from doing the conference. So we meet Hamish. He's got this great accent. And so, you know, he's going to be the new guy, but he's running point. And we were kind of lost. We were, the business was being run by committee. And uh, so we asked Hamish, I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, do you want to do you want to facilitate? Do you want to do a presentation? You were like, nope, I'm just there to learn. I want to sort of take stock of everything. We were like, all right, we're going to continue down this path. And we walked, we walked Hamish through what we were going to do. And he was like, yep, yep, yep. That's fine. We get to the conference two weeks later and uh, Mike and I are hanging out in the back of the conference. So the person that was delivering the message, and this was like early in the year, like January, February, he goes, well, it's going to be tough. Our budget is tough. We're probably not going to hit our number. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be, it's, it's not looking good. This is at the beginning of the year. I see Hamish get up. He's walking along the side and I whisper to Mike, I go, Hamish isn't liking this. He's walking around. And then Hamish walks right toward us. I go, he's headed this way. He's coming right over. And you leaned in between Hamish. You leaned in between Mike and I, and you said, I actually do want to do a presentation. I'm going to do one tomorrow morning and we're going to be working tonight. And I was like, oh, Okay. And, and he delivered such a great presentation about we're not only going to win, we're going to crush this year's budget. And, and that, for me, all the way until I left the brand in 2012, we hit our number, not only that, but above that. And I got some of the biggest bonus checks ever because of you. You saved the brand. And, and, and I give you so much credit in a lot of ways because our company at that time was involved in a lot of stuff we probably shouldn't have been in. And you just made it stupid simple for us. You were like, we're just going to do these three, four things. We're going to do it well. And you cleared the deck. And, and honestly, 
we say famous or infamous, you've really set the stage for getting that company back on track. And again, I look at your track record and everything you've done. And for me, I just go, who wouldn't want this guy to be a part of whether their board or their company? So again, I just publicly, while we're doing a podcast and I got you here, I just want to thank you for just really helping us out for the 13 years you were there and for my last couple of years before I did what I'm doing now. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was one of the most fun jobs I ever had as well. So yeah. <laughs> exhausting, exhausting in many ways, but also extremely liberating and fun. So always totally, remember it. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Hamish, where if, you know, these are great. We're going to have all this in our show notes. If people wanted to uh, interact with you or connect with you, where should we send them? What's the best way to get a hold of you if you even want them to? Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> no, don't, don't give us anything. Yeah, just just uh, message me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Reference this and that would be great. Fantastic. We'll, we'll have that there. This was so fun for us. I'm so thankful that you spent a little bit of time with us. I've, I've been propping you up with Brant and uh, as good as your word, man, I'm just really thankful for just your knowledge and your passion for everything you do. And uh, hopefully there's some real learnings for people to, to take away from our audience. So thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All righty. We'll talk care. to you soon. Rock on. Hey, rock stars, thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, and listen, we know how busy you are, and grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that can amp up your life are super hard to come by. So we hope this episode helped you enough for you to maybe subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and a review so that we can continue to grow the show. Thus That Rock is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network and also supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who have run out of options. They're amazing. Their work is incredible. To learn more, please go to cannonballkidscancer.org. Finally, if you're interested in having Brant or Jim or both of us speak at your event, whether as a virtual webinar or an in-person conference keynote or mastermind, contact us directly at thoughtsatrock.com. Until next time, rock on! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.